1: Hello and welcome into airing it out a Penn State football podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host John Sober and I'm joined as always by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Well, it is one day
0: before one of my favorite days of the year John Sober not not Penn State Rutgers game day, but Thanksgiving big fan of Turkey. I'm excited. I hope you're pumped too.
1: Oh, you know, I love the meal that comes with Thanksgiving could go without everything else. But you know what? I, I'll i take it. Uh, you know, the the football should be good tomorrow, too. So I can't complain too much. And of course, we get the egg bowl, which I'm sure will turn into some fireworks with Mississippi, Mississippi State. And, you know, a little bit of Penn State interest there, too, with Joe Moorhead being there. And it uh, sounds like he's on the hot seat. So that should be add a little bit of extra fun to the game. Uh, of course, after a week of. Uh, let's say, not so fun football for Penn State fans, uh, you know, if, with the Ohio State-Penn State game this past weekend. And honestly, one of the more interesting games we've seen this year uh, sort of had a ton of ebbs and flows. What, what's your main takeaway from Penn State's 28-17 loss to Ohio State last weekend?
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I was surprised and I wasn't. I, I, I think I, I saw it phrased the best. I'm, I'm stealing this from, from, from uh, someone on Twitter, but it was, it was the closest blowout I've ever witnessed. Um, I think that's kind of the best way to sum, up, sum it up here. Uh, you know, the, the defense didn't play perfect in the beginning, but, you know, I thought overall they did a solid job. They had the 3-1 turnover margin. And the offense, uh, yeah, was, was absolutely pathetic in the first half. But Sean Clifford goes down, Penn State's down 21 to nothing. And I know people hate to hear about moral victories, but, I mean, hey, you, you got to give Penn State some credit for coming back from 21 nothing without their starting quarterback you know uh, will love us because that helps cut the deficit to 21 to 17 so honestly i i I thought this kind of showed us what we already knew about penn state um you know i I don't think it was a big surprise in that regard the biggest surprise to me was just 21 nothing and penn state actually makes it a game
1: yeah i think that surprised most people uh you know it's this is clearly the best team in the country uh in ohio state uh there well they're, lsu i like too I, but hey I, yeah i i like lsu a lot too but at this point it's tough for me to go against ohio state just because that defense is is on a level that lsu hasn't been at this year uh and, and we saw that on a full display this past saturday and you know it it's an ohio state team that has you know killed teams with the explosive plays and and that's exactly what they did against penn state and that helped them get up 21 0 nothing and, of course, Penn State's stalwart defense, I mean, again, proving it's one of the best units in the country, forcing those turnovers, making plays happen to help the offense get some points on the board. And, you know, all of a sudden it was 21 to 17. You're right. There, there are no moral victories. But, man, if you're if you're a Penn State fan, then, you, uh, you know, you're concerned about the talent gap. Uh, I get it. But when you put on a performance like that defensively, and I know they still gave up 28 points, but still, the the performance the, the fewest was.
0: since last season's Rose Bowl. I mean, 28 yeah. points is a lot, but but by Ohio State standards, that 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 might be the lowest uh, they they score all all year. I mean, including the playoffs. I mean, that that's that is a solid performance that I was surprised way too many fans were upset about.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I I was pretty shocked as well. Especially 14 points in each half. It's not like they were especially explosive in one half or the other. Uh, especially in the first half, Ohio State was dominant, you know, on both sides of the ball, and for it to only be fourteen nothing going into the half is is pretty remarkable. Uh, this is clearly one of the top defenses in the country that Penn State has, and you know something that that this team can hang its hat on. Uh, and you know one of the other big storylines to come out of this, of course, is uh, that Will Levis and Sean Clifford. Now, there's a decision to be made at quarterback this coming Saturday. Uh, as you know, to get to get fans up to speed that somehow don't know uh Clifford left the game in the third quarter with an injury uh Will Levis came in provided a punch for the team got them 17 points on the board albeit in short fields in all three situations but got the team 17 points uh before ultimately making a few mistakes down the stretch and, and you know uh being alongside his teammates as they lost it but staying in at quarterback there and James Franklin said after the game that that Sean Clifford could have gone back in but they decided to ride the hot hand so to speak and and stick with Levis uh what are you expecting going forward with this, uh, this quarterback decision? Well, uh, let, let's get one thing out of the way.
0: There, there is no quarterback controversy here. Sean Clifford is, is the guy. He won the job in, the, in, the, uh, in, in fall camp, and, and really we thought it was determined even before that. Uh, you know, but let's be realistic. It's Rutgers. They're playing Rutgers. It's the worst team in all of college football. It's arguably one of the worst programs. Uh, they are at the bottom or near the bottom of virtually every statistical category that is not punting. Uh, so there's no need to push someone who's who's 90% or hell, even 99%. I mean, uh, I, I'd say I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but I sort of do, John Sauber. I You know, after the Ohio State game, I asked a few reporters in the press box, I'm like, you know, serious question, but I'm curious. If if Penn State was only allowed to play its true freshmen and its scout team players, you still think it would beat uh, Rutgers on Saturday? And the consensus was still yes. Yes, they would. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's really no need to rush back Sean Clifford because Will Levis has shown he's, he's capable. Of, certainly Penn State could probably plug in their third, fourth, or hell, give Michael Schuster a try on Saturday uh, against Rutgers and, and they would be completely fine. So, uh, you know, James Franklin said that that we will likely see well Levis in some capacity, you know, how much he's, he's not quite sure yet, but, but I would expect that, you know, at least uh, we should see, we should not see Sean Clifford for an entire half, but, you know, we'll see how it goes, but, but that's what I would expect at this early point of the week that, you know, will Levis sees time. We'll probably see all sorts of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth string players that, that we haven't seen for quite a while this season. This is this is Idaho in Big Ten form.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I honestly wouldn't be all that surprised if, if Clifford doesn't play at all, if he plays a series or if he plays a quarter, you know, and then it goes to Levis. Uh, there's no real reason to play him if you plan on sticking with him. I think this only gets interesting in the spring and summer if Levis takes another step and maybe pushes Clifford in, in spring camp and, and fall camp. And, you know, maybe then we start to see a quarterback controversy arise. But as of right now, uh, Clifford's still got to be the guy. Levis isn't polished enough passing the ball. He's not accurate enough. Uh, clearly has a rocket arm, though, and is, a, is a incredibly dynamic in the running game. Uh, he's basically like having a, and I know Penn State fans are going to love this, a fullback in the backfield to, to power forward with a running back as a lead blocker. Uh, but you know it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out long term but for the time being it just doesn't matter Rutgers doesn't matter the program is totally irrelevant uh, Greg Schiano has has turned them down now and you know we've seen uh, some, some New Jersey media tear them to shreds for it Steve Politi of, of nj.com did a fantastic piece on you know how basically Agreed. Rutgers doesn't care about football and uh, he's right you know they don't seem to care Shiano uh, should be the coach that they hire and if they're not willing to make almost every concession he wants that's within reason then there's no reason he should go there because they're in a a bottomless pit right now with no chance of getting out and I'm sure that they're going to hire a you know a middle of the road coach who's basically taking the job to get the pay bump for three years then get canned and try and rehabilitate his career because that's what's going to happen until they hire a coach that's serious about rebuilding uh, this program and they make the decision as an athletic department to be serious about college football. Until then, they're going to suck. They still suck. They're going to suck on Saturday.
0: Well, 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 one thing, I don't know if it's even fair to say that Greg Sciano is the one who turned down Rutgers. Uh, right, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, Rutgers,
0: you know, he had a list of demands among them. I mean, he was asking to be the 10th highest paid coach in the yeah. conference, which seems, you know, not too bad. It would be an eight-year, $32 million contract. Uh, Rutgers initially offered six for 24. And on top of that, there are certain things he wanted. He wanted a... Uh, you know, higher pay salary for his coaches. He he wanted a minimum salary bumps of I believe it was three percent every year. He he wanted a commitment by twenty twenty three of improved facilities, and he wanted use of a jet at his own discretion. And again, if if this if that sounds like a lot to you, that's just because you're not familiar with these types of contracts. Nothing he was asking for there was outlandish. In fact, I would I would venture to say that this was this has to be. The easiest decision to have made in coaching history in the Big Ten, because fans still had hope one week ago. They had hope. Rutgers fans, uh, you know, before Greg Schiano, the birthplace of college football, had one bowl and zero bowl wins in its freaking history. Schiano comes in; he's five and one in bowls. He is. He triggered the golden age for Rutgers football. Why in the hell I, if this guy was asking for $8 million a year and to own a fleet of freaking jets, pay the man, you know, I, I feel like I need to channel Teddy Gay KGB from rounders, pay the man, his money. Uh, but, but, but Rutgers just refused to do it. And now, I mean, the governor, it looks like is thinking about getting involved, or at least making a statement. Former players have released statements, you know, saying they are profoundly disappointed in, in the direction that athletic director Pat Hobbs has taken. Uh, several boosters told NJ.com that they're finished donating. One fan took Rutgers out of his will. Another said that he's just done with the program. And all that could have been changed if you hired Greg Shiano, who wasn't asking for that much. I mean, Rutgers is a laughingstock right now. And quite frankly, and I think the fans would agree at this point, it deserves to be after everything that it's done in just the last week. It's it's incredible. But I think we can succinctly sum this up in, in one way, John. Rutgers gun and rocker,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, don't, you know, the credit doesn't fall with everyone at Rutgers for blowing this up, but it definitely falls at the feet of Pat Hobbs, our athletic director who just absolutely blew this. He had a chance to hire Greg Schiano, and he made the decision not to do it period. End of story. He had a chance to make Rutgers football semi relevant and he couldn't do it. And if he doesn't want to do it fine, but at that point, uh, if they're just going to be siphoning big 10 money from the big 10 network, uh, then I imagine Rutgers won't find itself in the Big Ten, uh, you know, much longer if this is going to keep up. Because I mean, if-
0: I, I don't know about that, John. I, I don't know if you can kick
1: Rutgers out of the Big Ten. I mean – I, it, it, to me, at, at this point, you have, you have reason to. They're, they're not willing to to make the kind of uh, you know, investment in football that every other school has, and they're not adding anything to the conference. Uh, they're not adding anything to the other schools. They, they're not contributing anything, really. They have a $100 million non-revenue sport complex, and they, yet they won't in, uh, invest in a football-only complex when football is the sport that's paying for that because that's why they're in the Big Ten. That's why they have that money available. Uh, I mean, if you have reason to, to me, if you're the Big Ten, to to make a change. Well,
0: well, well, well let me stop you right there. I mean, I, first of all, let, let, let me let it be known. Uh, I definitely do not disagree with you when it comes to how little Rutgers gives to the Big Ten. My big question is, does is the Big Ten legally able? Can Do they even have a choice in the matter to, you know, kick out Rutgers if they don't want to? Because, again, this is in the history of the Big Ten. And, and we're going back decades and decades. Uh, you know, it, it, has it been over a hundred years? I mean, it's it, Rutgers is like the the third is on the third worst losing streak right now. I want to say behind Northwestern um, in the eighties the and, and, and Illinois. Um, I think Illinois was on a 25 game losing streak. Rutgers is at 20 when it comes to the big 10 Northwestern trounced them both. It, it, if the big 10 was able to, to kick out a program like that, you know, maybe Northwestern could have been on the chopping block, you know, uh, back when it had its, its, you know, incredible streak of futility, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So so I just wonder, I, I get what you're saying. I don't disagree, but I'm just not so sure the Big Ten can can, can do that, even if it wanted to.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. And, you know, uh, we're not going to dive too much into the logistics of it, uh, but, I, you know, I can't imagine <laughs> it would be too too legally difficult to do it. Uh, they're, you know, they're under contract, I assume, like, like most other institutions with these conferences. And, you know, realignment will be coming, uh, as we know. And we've seen, you know, uh, conferences sort of get nudged out the door before, uh, you know, and, and not necessarily kicked out of a conference, but you know, not not necessarily welcome back with open arms. And, uh, you know, we even saw in, in some of these new com articles, and they've done a fantastic job covering all of this, suggesting that, you know, Rutgers should be in the Ivy league. And if they think well, they should be in the hmm. Ivy league, then uh, maybe go ahead and head to the Ivy league guys. Uh, I think that's probably best for everyone involved except for the Ivy league. So, you know, uh, <laughs> more power to them if they think they've got the agency to be that high level with school. I don't know if anyone else thinks that, but, uh, you know, we've, we've ran it. A- I mean, it's number 62 in, uh, us news you know,
0: best colleges in the country. I don't think number 62 gets you in the Ivy league, but Hey,
1: aim for the stars Rutgers. Yeah. According to Rutgers, Rutgers number 62 does. So <laughs> whatever, whatever they think, whatever, you know, helps them sleep at night. Uh, you know, the the school is in shambles right now. I'm interested to see how this all plays out. They're probably gonna have a new head coach in the next two weeks that isn't Greg Ciano and the fan base is going to be livid. And I just can't wait to see how, you know, the the tire fire continues to evolve. Uh, but for the time being, you know, let's let's, you know, shift gears real quick back. Oh, to Penn you mean State I can't and, I,
0: I can't ask you if you're excited about Michigan's linebackers coach maybe being the head coach at, at, at
1: R U. I can't say that I'm excited about a guy who's only getting hired because he has Greg Schiano ties, even though they won't hire Shiano. Uh Mind-boggling, really. Just well done, Rutgers. You continue to outdo yourself. It's just a phenomenal job there in the athletic administration. But, again, let's, let's try and shift this back to Penn <laughs> State before we dive into the on-field stuff with Rutgers, which won't matter, by the way. I can assure you of that. Uh, and, and let's talk about Justin Shorter real quick, a, a New Jersey native who – who's entered his name in the transfer portal for Penn State, former five-star wide receiver, top 10 player in the 2018 recruiting class nationally. Uh, What are your thoughts on Shorter entering the portal? And, you know, to be clear, this doesn't necessarily mean he's going to leave. Uh, It basically allows him to contact other schools, schools to contact him, uh, and allows Penn State to revoke his scholarship if they want to. I can almost guarantee you they're not going to do that. Schools do not do that to these these players uh, uh, when they enter the portal. But, And we've seen guys come back with Lamont Wade last year. So, so what are you expecting from Shorter? And, you know, what do you think, you know, do you think there's some credence to this decision or do you think, you know, he was sort of uh, you wonder what the best call was right here, I should say. Yeah. Well, well, let me unwrap
0: this a little bit and, 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 and say this. Uh, I'm not surprised by the fact that, that Justin Shorter, you know, is, is entering the transfer portal. Uh, You know, uh, I I think, you know, a lot of us kind of saw that coming and, and, you know, Listen, if you had to pick out a a few players that you think would transfer, I mean, you know, Ricky Slade would certainly be up there for me. Justin Shorter is kind of a similar situation to Juwan Johnson from last year. You know, we expected this big season from this big receiver who, you know, a lot of people picked him to be the breakout because he showed these great flashes, but he's just never been able to put it together. And he's been a colossal disappointment this season. I mean, listen, there's, there's no other way around it. I mean, he has been the last two games. He's been benched in favor of Dan Chisena. Who was a former walk-on who was doing track a few years ago? You know, Justin Shorter was the number eight overall recruit in the nation in 2018. You know, again for some comparison, Micah Parsons was number five. Micah Parsons, who never before played linebacker, was a defensive end. He's a finalist for the Butkus. Justin Shorter uh, has 12 catches this year. I mean, that's a big gulf between two guys who are very close on the recruiting chart. So. The only thing that surprises me with this is really the timing. I mean, why make this decision now? Why not wait until the end of the regular season when you have this big, you know, patch between the bowls and, and between the regular season? You know what? Why do this now? You know, that's what I really wonder about, because I wonder if it's the playing time. I I wonder if it's something else. And, you know, if that's the case, again, it seemed it seemed like James Franklin was a little bit caught off guard uh, when, when I asked him about it uh, yesterday, because, the one thing he said, he's like, well, he, he, he couldn't confirm. He's like, we, we, we just talked about this. You know, he said that he was just coming out of a meeting with shorter and it didn't sound like at that meeting, anything was definitively stated. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't blame Justin shorter. If he wants to try to get a new start elsewhere, you know, maybe, you know, at a school that's, uh, you know, maybe doesn't have as much, you know, competitive depth, you know, here, or, you know, maybe a place where he can be the star or, you know, I I don't know, but, I just I, – I really do wonder if I could ask him one question, it would be, why now? Why now?
1: Yeah, and I, I totally get that. And it's almost like, you know, you're you're sort of putting the team in a position where they can convince you to come back when you make the decision this early because they do have time to do that now. Uh, I mean, the seasons, the regular season is not even over yet.
0: But I mean, uh, he won't play. I imagine – I mean, we'll ask James Franklin for certain. You know, I imagine he will not play, Um, obviously. <laughs> you know this weekend so why not play and and then you know I I just well that's the thing he he can practice and play this week Uh, he can but I don't know if they would allow that you know if you have one foot in one foot out
1: yeah I'll I'll be interested to see and how that plays out you know maybe maybe if you're trying to convince him to stay you let him play Uh, you know you let him make that decision and what he wants to do and if he wants to play you let him play Uh, I, I just think it's really interesting from a from the standpoint of you know there aren't a lot of guys in this offense that get a ton of targets outside of KJ Hamler and Pat Fryermuth, And I wonder if this is, you know, going to be a recurring theme with this offense under Ricky Ronnie. If we're going to see the top targets get the ball a ton and the lower level guys sort of not get that level of targets, maybe get a little bit more frustrated, maybe want to leave early because of it. Uh, you know, you know, and I think that's that's going to play a role here, and that has played a role here. Uh, because he he only has 17 targets this year. And you're right, he's only got 12 of them. That's not a good catch rate. It's, it's just not in, in any world. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's also not getting targets and not being given the chance uh, to sort of redeem himself. He he had three catches on, on I believe, four targets against Ohio State. His but, best but yeah, if,
0: I, if, if I could, though, I mean, you know, you're right, He he's not getting the targets. But but part of that isn't just because Clifford's not looking his way. Part of that is because he's he's slow out of his breaks. He's, you know, he's still kind of learning routes. He's you know, he's not creating separation. I, you know, I guess you could just throw it up to him since he's 6'4", 235. But, I mean, a lot of the, the, those reasons, and, and Franklin talked about them in April, um, you know, I feel like is, is why he hasn't been a bigger part of the offense.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you, you see the same issues with Chisena too. Chisena is basically a straight line route runner. You know, he can run he can run uh, slants and he can run goes, and that's basically it. He's not adding a whole lot else outside of that. Uh, and and I just I do think it's an odd decision to go with Chisena as much as they do over Shorter because they essentially provide the same thing. Uh, shorter is just you know uh, you know able to get up uh, and go get the ball better, while Chisena is probably a little bit faster in a straight line. Uh, I would go with Shorter still over Chisena without question, really. Both have issues with drops. Uh, both are you know, not elite route runners. I actually think Shorter has improved quite a bit there this season. You, know, he, you see him creating separation for himself. And even if he's not, he's got a big enough body and he's got uh, big enough hands where he can you know, sort of snatch the ball out of the air and, and make contested catches. And, and he's not getting the chance to do that. Uh, I, I honestly he would just didn't do it against Antoine Winfield not many people do it against St. Paul Winfield. <laughs> I mean, that is fair. fair. That is, uh, fair. and it looked like that. But you know, if you if you watch the replay of that video, because that's one of the games that I rewatched uh, recently, and I was trying to find some some shorter stuff to watch and you know see what was going on there. He gets separation. He creates space past Winfield, and Clifford has to just drop the ball into the open field, and Shorter can go get it. Instead, it's a little underthrown, and by the time he locates the ball, it's too late, and it looks like he's like it's almost impossible for him to contort his body and get back to the ball. Uh, and so he, you know, in, in hindsight, it looks like he almost never had a chance at that one anyways. And in him reaching back was probably the best he was able to physically do at that point because his momentum was setting so far downfield and he was trying to get, you know what I mean? To the space where he had hoped, I assume Clifford was going to throw the ball. It of course ended up being underthrown and, and Winfield comes up with the interception. So I, I, I think it's really interesting though, because I think this guy is clearly talented and he's probably the most talented non handler wide on the, on the roster. And you can make an argument that he's more talent than Hamler does because of his size, size, speed combination. Uh, of course, Hamler's lack of size uh, helps him too, uh, helps with the acceleration. And, and you know, I, I think this is going to to hurt Penn State fans in the long run. You know, if he goes to another school, I think we're going to see him succeed at a really high level. Uh, it just seems like one of those kids who needed a chance to shine, and and the offense seems geared a little bit too much toward its top targets. When you know, in the past, we, we didn't see that with with Penn State offenses uh, under Joe Moorhead, you know, and I, I hate to bring up that offense because it isn't the same offense as much as people like to say it is. But this offense gets the ball to its playmakers and it's that's its top two playmakers. That Moorhead offense got the ball to whoever was open. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a, a pretty big difference at this point. And, you know, there are advantages to both, uh, but we've seen it play out this year that maybe it can be a little bit frustrating for other wide receivers if, if Hamler and Fryermuth and and, and a little bit of Dodson are basically the only guys getting the ball thrown their way. Well, well, let me ask you this then. How valuable do you think he would be to
0: Penn State in 2020, in especially because if I had to take a guess, um, you know, KJ Hamler would be one of the, the top 50 picks of the NFL, the 2020 NFL draft. Let's say, let's say Hamler declares, you know, just for sake of argument, but you still have all these young receivers, including Jahan Dodson,
1: you know, coming back. W- what is Shorter's role? Uh, I think he would be the best wideout next year, and I think he's probably their number one target at wideout. Uh, if Hamlet Even over Dotson? Uh, yeah, even over Dotson, uh, just because I think, you know, you would see a, a big leap from a guy from a redshirt freshman year to a redshirt sophomore year. And, and this is someone, as, as you know, love Jahan Dotson. I think he's a fantastic route runner, probably the best route runner on the team right now. Great separation, better than anyone. Very slight frame, still makes plays even, you know, with that being the case. But, yeah, I, I think Shorter would be the number one option at wideout on this team next year. Uh, or at least fighting for it with thoughts and, and yeah I mean it's this could this could be a pretty big hit to a team that that has high aspirations next season and because it seems like in all likelihood you're not getting Hamler back and if you're not getting Hamler back you need to find a number one option and that's where this not getting the ball to everybody comes into play because you don't know what you have going into next year now and, and you're sort of without uh, you know stability at the wide receiver position. Yeah, you
0: know, uh, there's no doubt that that Shorter has a lot of potential. I'm just not sure if he can put it all together. I mean, we've seen a lot of talented players, uh, you know, come into Penn State who, you know, just didn't live up to expectations. You know, I don't mean to go back too far, but, you know, guys like Alex Kenny and, you know, Dakota Royer, and, you know, just because you're, you know, insanely athletic and, you know, you've shown some improvement, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but. I mean, six foot four, you know, just like Chuan Johnson, like, you know, you wonder how many of those guys like that,
1: uh, Penn State can strike out on. Oh, and Irvin Charles too. And you know, there was plenty plenty going on there that made that a volatile situation that was never going to work out, but yeah, you're right. You know, you, you need size speed combos like that. And that's the best way to get the ball downfield. And if you're going to continue to not properly utilize, utilize them, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, uh, I'll be interested to see if he sticks around. Of course, there's a, there's a chance of that. There's a chance he transfers. Who knows what's going to happen? But, but as of now, I don't think this is the best look for Penn State, especially with all the transfer portal stuff last year, which was not warranted, I don't think, by the way, because there are a lot of those guys left and were never going to contribute for this Penn State team. Uh, some would have, but, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was that big of an issue last year. But starting with Justin Shorter this year, I think we could see it become uh, an issue this year. Of course, that's for down the road. Right now we've got we've got Rutgers this this Saturday. Uh, Rutgers. Rutgers, Rutgers, Rutgers. Yeah, and I wish James Franklin would just bypass Rutgers when it comes to that because he really doesn't need to think about Rutgers much to beat them. Um, do you have any thoughts about this game? They're like you said, they're easily the worst power five team in the country. Uh, If a game between them and UConn would be hilarious, uh, a game between them and an Ivy league school would be hilarious. So any game involving Rutgers is hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's a valid point. Do you have (laughs) any, are you looking for anything this weekend? Is there anything that people can look out for in this game? Um, I, I am
0: curious how the freshman quarterbacks fare against Rutgers. I mean, this will probably be the most we've seen of them, you know, all regular season, but Honestly, no. I mean, tickets are nine bucks. I'm uh, on the secondary market. I'm curious to see. I mean, again, this is usually the time of the year where you see the lowest attendance just because it's right after Thanksgiving. The students aren't here. And in the past, there's been some incentive to come back. You know, hey, this could be a good game. Hey, this is to clinch, you know, Big Ten East. Hey, you know, Penn State's, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Penn State's a 40 and a half point favorite. Um, no, no, uh, there's, there's nothing worth watching here. Uh, I would rather. What what other game is that? Three thirty. Is it is it Minnesota Wisconsin? That's at That's that three thirty. Yeah, watch and, that one.
1: And I believe that, Alabama, that has more of an Auburn. impact on Penn State. Yeah, Alabama, Auburn. I believe the Iron Bowl is also at three thirty. Plenty of games to watch that impact Penn State at three thirty. But, but Penn State Rutgers is not one of them.
0: But yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, w- w- we talked a little bit before the show. I mean, Penn State's path to New Year's Six Bowl uh, is definitely clear now. I mean, Penn State can can make the Rose Bowl and. Let's just toss the Rutgers game off to the side because, number one, it's boring. Rutgers is embarrassing, et cetera, et cetera. You know how we feel about this. Uh, But assuming Penn State wins by more than, you know, two, three touchdowns like it should Saturday, the path is pretty clear to to a Rose Bowl. I mean, you need – you know, help me out here, John. You need uh, Wisconsin beats Minnesota, Ohio State beats Michigan, Penn State beats Rutgers, and then in the Big Ten Championship, Ohio State beats Wisconsin. Now, those are all kind of what's likely to happen. You put them all together, and, and I don't think there's a 50%
1: or better chance. But I'm not a big math guy. But but
0: regardless, that seems to be the most likely scenario at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would bet my money on that's what ends up happening here. There's also other scenarios for Penn State to end up in New Year's Six Bulls, too. You know, uh, you know, as far as the Rose Bowl, if, let's say, Minnesota beats Wisconsin and then somehow upsets Ohio State, Ohio State's not missing the playoff if they beat Michigan, too. So then you would have two Big Ten teams in the playoff. Well, you, you, you think Minnesota could beat Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, and Ohio State still moves on? Yeah, absolutely. A twelve and one Ohio State is is not missing the the uh, the playoff, especially if over. Wait, lost. wouldn't wouldn't Minnesota be a one loss team? So, Minnes a one loss
0: Minnesota beats Ohio State, who is then one loss, and Ohio State goes in over Minnesota.
1: No, both teams make it in this scenario. is what I'm saying. Oh, uh, yeah, no? I. I and you know, with Clemson and the SEC champ, basically, uh, because I don't know how you can you know keep Ohio State out uh, at that point. They're they're a 12 and one team with its only loss against another playoff team, and Minnesota would have to be in as a twelve and one team at that point with wins over uh, a top ten team in Penn State and a you know top five team in Ohio State. There's no way you can keep them out, and in that scenario, Penn State gets the Rose Bowl because they're the highest remaining Big Ten, uh, highest reigning, highest ranked remaining Big Ten team. Well, that was a that was okay. a fun one to get out. But then uh, the other scenario, like you said, for the Rose Bowl is if everything just sort of goes according to plan, (laughs) I guess for everyone involved that that wants to see Penn State in the the Rose Bowl and you get, you know, a Penn State win, an Ohio State win, and a Wisconsin win this weekend. And then it's just about Ohio State beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. Uh, And then that would basically make it easy for Penn State to get in. Uh, I think a loss for Minnesota drops them below Penn State and then they're basically eliminated. The loss of Ohio State would eliminate Wisconsin, drop them below Penn State. Um, But there is one other New Year's Six Bowl that Penn State can make, and that's the Orange Bowl. Cotton Uh, Bowl, too. Yeah, true. Uh, But but I think we're looking at the Orange Bowl as probably the most likely here, uh, just with the way things have shaken out in the most recent rankings with Penn State ahead of Florida. Uh, And that's, you know, an SEC team goes to the playoff an SEC team goes to the playoff, so we've got two in, and then you've got uh, the third SEC team, whether that's Georgia or Alabama, going to the Sugar Bowl, and that leaves the either the highest ranked uh, SEC team or the highest ranked Big Ten team or Notre Dame going to the Orange Bowl. Uh, that would put Penn State ahead of Florida as far as those rankings are concerned, so Penn State would beat out the highest ranked SEC team, and Penn State would be ahead of Notre Dame, which would leave them you know, as the highest ranked team available for the orange bowl to pick. Uh, and again, give Penn state a new year six bowl for, I believe the third time in the last four years. Uh, but you know, you would be surprised by how many people are upset about that. And especially considering how poorly you and I projected this team to play early in the season, but here we are end of the season. Penn state has a very, very, very real chance of making another new year six bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think at this point, it seems like the, the floor is the, the
0: outback bowl, um, you know, but we will see. But yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen. You know, there's sure there's only one week of the regular season left, but there's so much that goes into this, but, but yeah, I mean, the Cliffs notes, Penn state still has a very good shot at the Rose bowl and if all does not go according to plan, there's still the orange bowl and the cotton bowl to fall back on. And if everything goes against Penn state, um, there's still the outback bowl, which I mean, Hey, it's is certainly not what, what you'd want at this point, but, I mean, hey, spending a couple of days in Florida still beats the Penn Strike Bowl.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that scenario is honestly highly unlikely at this point, which should tell you, you know, just how well Penn State has done this year and the, the position that it's put itself in to, to, you know, be in another New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, everything will be much, much, much more clear after this weekend. Uh, You know, we will have all of these rivalry games take place. Everything should shake out. We'll get new rankings Tuesday and come next Wednesday for next week's episode. We should know exactly what needs to happen uh, on championship Saturday for Penn State to make whichever bowl, the orange bowl, the Rose bowl, the Outback bowl. Um, You know, there are chaos scenarios where things get even wilder, which is always what I'm rooting for. You know, let's see Alabama, Georgia, and everyone else lose this weekend. Just see where things take us because I am – you know, a glutton for chaos. I just love it. And I would uh, love to see some more of it this weekend. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get that. But, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, you may as well hope for it. Uh, it's, you know, you can root for it for for the hope of Penn State somehow backdoing their way into a playoff. I'm going to root for it just because I want to see everybody yelling at each other.
0: <laughs> uh, everyone yelling at each other, that's that's something, you know, good to root for.
1: Yeah, it, it, makes, it uh, makes it fun for everybody involved. But, uh, you know, that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out.
0: Well, we'll we'll time out here a second. We're not going to do our our Penn State Rutgers football predictions. I actually have a prediction in the bag here, John. Oh,
1: man, you finally come prepared. All right. I I did. I did. (laughs) Well, uh, yes, we'll do our prediction here. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's one of those games where I honestly spent so little time thinking of it. The only thing I'm really watching is can Johnny Langan once again throw for fewer than five passing yards? Because I included that in my matchup. And, like, I can't stress this enough, that man went five of 13 in the game and had one passing yard, a passing yard. Not, not two, not three, one passing yard. So can he do it again? I'm hopeful. I think there's a chance we get to the negative passing yards, and I am rooting for it because, again, this disaster of a program deserves it. But while we wait for that, let's hear it, Josh. Let's, uh, what's your prediction for this Saturday, and, uh, you know, what are you expecting and who do you think stands out for Penn State? Um
0: well uh so this is the this is the prediction I'm going to put in the paper John uh um Rutgers scores 0 Penn State 222 um and of course uh I, I say that because it's a nod to the 1916 uh Cumberland uh Georgia Tech football game which was the most lopsided in the history of college football um you know Rutgers is historically awful so I feel like that's about as much disrespect as they deserve so 222 to nothing um, realistically you know if you're you're listening to this because you know you're looking for some betting advice and who isn't um you know James Franklin does not take the foot off the gas in the second half I think Penn State's you know uh, second team is more talented than Rutgers first team and with Penn State as a 40 and a half point favorite uh, I would still take Penn State all day
1: yeah uh I'm with you uh I'm I projected 56 to three I you know I don't know how they're going to get that three. Part of me wanted to make that a zero, but you just, you have to imagine when the walk-ons are in Rutgers can somehow get in the field position, but, you know, even then probably not, who knows? Uh, You know, I think a lot of people should be looking forward to seeing how some of these young guys do that get into this game. Uh, You know, I, I I imagine we'll see Michael Johnson Jr. and take one Roberson. At least we should, Uh, you know, especially if Clifford doesn't play. Uh, see how those guys fare. One of them will have to be the backup quarterback if Clifford isn't good good to go. Uh, and we'll get to see a bunch of young guys play and see you know a sneak preview for next year. You know, and maybe what they can bring to the table then. Uh, and of course, like I said, we'll be watching to see if Justin Shorter plays. Uh, I'm with you. I don't think he does, but I don't. I'm not completely rolling it out yet. Uh, but yeah, 222 uh, nothing is good of, is as good of a prediction as you're going to get. And unfortunately for Rutgers, it's not exactly outside the realm of possibility. It's probably a one percent chance but it's still a 1% chance just because they're that bad. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's episode of airing it out. You can find us as always on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher and TuneIn. in. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the center daily times at center daily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C E N T R E. You can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.